Welcome to the 418th of the COVID Calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology. I'm coming to you live from Daejeon, South Korea. Today, I welcome traffic collision experts Michael Grivna and Yassin Jamal Yassin to talk about their new research on collisions and the pandemic. Just a reminder, you can usually catch COVID Calls live on weekdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Just go to the COVID Calls YouTube channel to watch. This is a special COVID Calls episode at 5 p.m. Korea time. You can hear COVID Calls anytime recorded as podcasts on iTunes, Podbean, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also keep up with COVID Calls via Twitter using the handle at US of Disaster or at COVID Calls. And please do help spread the word send suggestions for future guests, and as always, please feel free to suggest yourself as a future guest. According to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center, as of February 18, 2022, the United Arab Emirates reports 2,290 deaths from COVID-19. Saudi Arabia reports 8,978, and the nation of Sweden reports reports 16,768 deaths from COVID-19. I've been reading an obituary or a story of advocacy for those impacted by the pandemic, and I'd like to continue that now. Headline is, Dennis Smith, firefighter who wrote bestsellers, dies at 81. This was written by Sam Roberts, published January 23rd, 2022 in the New York Times. Dennis Smith, a former teenage hellion and high school dropout who transformed himself into a famed New York City firefighter, a gritty best-selling author, and a leading guardian of the safety of his colleagues and the public, died on Friday in Venice, Florida. This is Friday in uh, late January of 2022. In Venice, Florida, he was 81. His death in a hospital was caused by complications of COVID-19, his son Sean Smith said. Mr. Smith was headed for jail as a juvenile delinquent when a sympathetic judge offered him an alternative, join the military. He enlisted in the Air Force, returned to New York three years later, and joined the fire department. While earning bachelor's and master's degrees at night, his literary career began when a magazine editor read an erudite letter by Mr. Smith published in the New York Times Book Review, disputing the author Joyce Carol Oates' characterization of William Butler Yeats as a universal poet rather than primarily an Irish one. The editor was stunned to discover the letter was signed by a Dennis E. Smith, who identified himself not as a literary critic or public intellectual, but as a Bronx fireman. The editor's intervention helped lead to a contract for the first of 16 books, Report from Engine Company 82, published in 1972, was a chronicle of the city's busiest firehouse. The book sold some three million copies ennobled Mr. Smith as a champion of his profession and inspired countless men and women to become firefighters. One of Mr. Smith's books focused on the work of firefighters after the attack on the World Trade Center in 2001. His report from Ground Zero, the story of the rescue efforts at the World Trade Center, was published in 2002 and was at that time number two on the New York Times bestsellers list. Mr. Smith was a Renaissance firefighter. He played eight musical instruments founded Firehouse Magazine in 1976, was the founding chairman of the New York City Fire Museum, and was instrumental in converting the engine company 30 Firehouse in Soho as its site. He also served as the president and chairman of the Kipps Bay Boys and Girls Club, which moved from Manhattan to the South Bronx, and was the chairman of the New York Academy of Art. Dennis Edward Smith was born on September 9, 1940, in the Bedford-Stuyvesant section of Brooklyn. He was raised in the East 50s of Manhattan when it was an Irish and Italian neighborhood that inspired Sidney Kingsley's play Dead End. His father, John, a Scottish immigrant, was committed to an asylum when Dennis was only two years old. His mother, Mary Hogan Smith, was a telephone operator and took in laundry and cleaned apartments on nearby Sutton Place to support her two sons when the family went on welfare. His mother was a disciplinarian who instilled in Dennis a love of books. He attended parochial schools, where, as a profile in the Times put it, 
When you were poor and Irish and growing up on the east side in the 1950s, the nuns never told you to become a doctor or a lawyer, president of the United States perhaps, but if not then, then a policeman or a fireman. He wrote about his childhood in the book, A Song for Mary, an Irish-American Memory, which was published in 1999. Mr. Smith served as an Air Force radar operator in Nevada, returned and joined the fire department in 1963, and he was assigned to a Queens firehouse in 1966, transferred to the engine company 82 in Morrisania when the Bronx was burning. He later moved with his family to suburban Orange County, New York. Deciding that he might eventually teach at a community college, he earned a bachelor's degree in English from New York University in 1970 and a master's in communication from New York University two years later. While he was still a part-time student working full-time as a firefighter, he wrote the aforementioned letter to the New York Times book review. Please remember, Mr. Smith wrote, that the poet, as evidenced by his writings, was Irish first. Through circuitous routes, he was contacted by an editor at McCall's Magazine, was featured in a New Yorker interview, was commissioned to write an article for True Magazine, and received a $30,000 advance for his book on Engine Company 82. His marriage to Patricia Kearney in 1962 ended in divorce. In addition to their son, Sean, he's survived by two other sons, Brendan and Dennis, two daughters, Deidre Smith-Wisniewski and Aislinn Falserano, and 11 grandchildren. He remained with the department until 1981, returning as a volunteer after the World Trade Center attack in 2001, where he worked for months on the cleanup. He helped retrieve the body of the son of a fellow firefighter, Lee Ielpi, that December. He later developed cancer and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which his family attributed to dust inhaled at the site. In a Times Opinion essay in 1971, Mr. Smith recalled his ebullience at the prospect of becoming a firefighter. I would play to the cheers of excited hordes, climbing ladders, pulling hose, and saving children from the waltz of the hot masked devil, he wrote. I paused and fed the fires of my ego. Tearful mothers would kiss me, editorial writers would extol me in lofty phrases, and mares would pin ribbons to my breast. After eight years, he wrote, the romantic visions had faded. I've climbed a thousand ladders and crawled Indian fashion down as many halls into a deadly nightshade of smoke, he wrote. The whirling darkness of black poison knowing all the while that the ceiling may fall or the floor collapse or a hidden explosive ignite. He recalled a tenement fire in which an 18-month-old girl died. The teary would-be rescuer, a yellow fire, a fellow firefighter, sat by him on the stoop, holding the body and saying over and over, poor little thing, she never had a chance. To which Mr. Smith wrote, I wish now that each man who intends to file for the coming fireman's test could have seen the humanity, the sympathy, and the sadness of those eyes, for they explained why we fight fires. The obituary of Dennis Smith, who died at age 81 from COVID in January 2022. Okay, I'd like to turn to my conversation for today. Let me introduce my guest to you. Professor Michael Grivna is a leading expert in injury control and safety promotion. Professor Givna's research includes topics related to childhood and adolescent injuries, school safety, traffic safety, baby walker injuries, child vehicle occupant protection, playground injuries, trauma registration, and other public health issues. He's collaborating as a consultant with various public health and preventive medicine institutions in the United, United Arab Emirates and abroad, including the Department of Health Abu Dhabi and the Dubai Health Authority. He played a leading role in activities of the European Child Safety Alliance and implementation of the World Health Organization's Safe Community Program. He's currently a mentor of young scientists in the World Health Organization Violence and Injury Prevention Mentorship Program. My second guest is Yassine Jamel Yassine. He holds a Bachelor's of Science degree in Environmental Health from Haramaya University, Ethiopia, and a Master's degree in Public Health from Addis Ababa University in Ethiopia, also a master's in science and environmental science from King Fahd University of Petroleum and Minerals. He also holds a certificate in clinical research from the Harvard Medical School. He's a faculty member in the School of Public Health. The College of Health Science is in the Michele University, Ethiopia, and is a third year PhD student in the Institute of Public Health 
in the College of Medicine and Health Sciences, the United Arab Emirates University. Let me thank both of my guests, Michael Grivna and Yassin Jamal Yassin, for joining me today on COVID Calls. Good to see you both. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Scott. Thank you. Good afternoon, Dr. Scott. I'd like to start the way. Yeah, absolutely. I've really been looking forward to this conversation and talking about this research. Let me start the way I generally do, just to find out where you're calling from and what the pandemic situation looks like there. And Michael, let me start with you on that. Uh, so uh, I'm just coming from United Arab Emirates, uh, from city of Align. Uh, it is uh, not so large city, around 700,000 people. Uh, for people, maybe it's uh, more familiar with Dubai or Abu Dhabi. So it is like uh, approximately one hour drive from uh, Abu Dhabi or Dubai. And uh, here in Align is uh, based a major uh, United Arab Emirates University. It is a federal government entity, academic institution, and the oldest institution in the country. Uh, I'm working at the College of Medicine at the Institute of Public Health. I'm director of the Institute of Public Health, and we are doing a lot of research and uh, collaboration with the stakeholders, health authority, but also we are involved in the undergraduate and postgraduate education. So I've really been eager to ask you what the situation is looking like there in the UAE, especially right now. I think the World Expo is still going on for another month, so UAE has been in the headlines What's the pandemic situation been looking like there? Uh, in some way, we are quite lucky in the United Arab Emirates, and uh, the, uh, we have, uh, compared to other countries, quite a good situation. Uh, uh, low prevalence of the um, incidence of the uh, COVID positive cases. Daily average now it is around uh, 900 uh, cases, and in 10 million people, uh, population around 10, 10 million people, it is 9.6 million people. It is quite low. Uh, we had some peak in January around. 9th of January, which was uh, reached uh, to 20, 30,000 per day, but now we are lowered. Of course, it is related to the uh, all the uh, activities of the government and the uh, um, pandemic-related uh, 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 combating uh, pandemic. We have, uh, I think, highest uh, highest vaccination rate in the world, around 96, 97%, uh, and of course, uh, Yes, quite strict measures and fast measures in the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, so I think all was uh, like really quite beneficial. Now, uh, of course, the uh, organization of the healthcare is quite interesting because it is federal country. Uh, uh, it is seven emirates, uh, uh, and every emirate has a little bit different, uh, maybe differences in the healthcare, in the legislation, regulation, and so on. And uh, Dubai has uh, own health authority, Dubai Health Authority, Abu Dhabi, for example, has Abu Dhabi uh, uh, Department of Health and Abu Dhabi uh, Public Health Center, uh, and some other emirates are under Ministry of uh, Health and Prevention. So there are differences a little bit, and even in the uh, measures, pandemic measures, were a little bit differences. So, for example, in Abu Dhabi, there were in some times a little bit more stricter measures than uh, Dubai. And of course, it is related to the different issues, and uh, specifically with the Expo, because Dubai didn't want to limit too much, uh, uh, you know, the uh, tourists coming to the to Dubai and to visit the expo, uh, but still, even the expo is like really already in the quite uh, uh, long time. It will finish in two months, uh, in the end of March. Still, there are quite uh, efficient measures, and it is related to the um, influx of the tourists, to the you know checking the uh, the uh, COVID uh, status and even the entering the expo facility, the people have to show some uh, PCR test, which is not uh, older than 24, uh, 48 hours. So there are still measures in the place uh, to preserve even tourists from, you know, uh, uh, getting the COVID uh, in, in the place. Well, thank you for that um, overview. 96% vaccination rate is astounding. What do you attribute that to? Uh, 
Uh, I think, of course, uh, there was like quite a response or a governmental decision to do it and to fast approach to the vaccination. Uh, uh, the structure was in place and quite a fast uh, uh, development of the logistics. So we were country which, uh, you know, the country bought the vaccines. Uh, in first stage, of course, it was the Chinese Sino, uh, Sinopharm. And then later, some other countries, uh, uh, Pfizer and uh, Sputnik and some other. Uh, but logistically, they organized the vaccination in very fast manner and very good manner. So it was available for the population to be vaccinated and it was organized very well and very fast. So the process of the vaccination was very fast. So this was very, I think, useful. And of course, uh, we are speaking about the already fully vaccinated, so with the, even the booster a vaccine second and third dose. So it is really quite uh, going very fast. Now the country is moving to the vaccinating the children from 5 to 12. Of course, there are debates if it is sufficient or needed or whatever, but still there is the process which is really quite supported by the by the government. Of course, uh, UAE is uh, uh, more affluent and, uh, um, you know, the country who could uh, afford this, and I think we are really lucky, but uh, they are also involved in some, like, uh, a lot of involved in some, like, uh, welfare and helping to other countries. In uh, There is a quite big hub in the Dubai to help the other countries in the uh, you know, the delivering of vaccines or sending vaccines and so on. There's one other, um, Yassine, I'll come to you in just one second, but there was one other nuance on this I wanted to ask you about, Michael. I, I know in, in recent years, the UAE has had um, a pretty large um, guest worker population, and those are workers coming um, from South Asia, also coming from, um, from, the, from the West, from the UK, from Australia, from the United States. Um, Help me understand a little bit what that means in terms of pandemic control and vaccination. Uh, this is very interesting and a very um, smart uh, question. In fact, uh, in the UAE, we have 85% expatriate community. Only 15% are UAE national local citizens. Uh, and it is really quite, uh, uh, have the influence on the healthcare system, on the delivery, but also in the information system. You know, how to do the, for example, awareness campaign, because you need to use uh, different languages uh, to reach all these, you know, minorities or some other subpopulations. And in fact, it was quite interesting. In the first uh, epidemiological studies, uh, it was clear that there was quite high transmission among the immigrants in the, you know, workers' camps and so on. So it was like quite, uh, uh, you know, because they are living in uh, quite close proximity uh, compared to some other like uh, UAE nationals or something like this in the bigger houses and bigger space. So there was a much higher and uh, uh, prevalence in transmission. Uh, so in the beginning of the pandemic, this was very interesting. Uh, of course, uh, this is issue which is uh, uh, government should somehow take into account in the delivery of the healthcare services. Of course, the, uh, there is different system for the insurance system, but you know all the workers uh, should be covered. So this is really very important issue, and I think it is the accounting and providing the services for all uh, you know population in the UAE. Okay, thank you for that. It's really interesting. I didn't realize it was 85%. That's really Im Im important and what a, a crucial area for public health delivery in the in the UAE. Yassine, uh, happy to bring you in now and let me ask you the same question as we start. Just where are you calling from and, and what's the pandemic situation looking like there? Uh, thank you, Doctor. Uh, actually, I'm, uh, I just came end of uh, December 2021. So I don't have uh, adequate information regarding this pandemic situation in Sweden, uh, but I can add uh, on what um, Professor Michael said about the pandemic situation in the UAE. Just to add a few, the first uh, case of COVID-19 was you know, confirmed in UAE in uh, uh, January 29, 2020, and early measures were you know, adopted by the government uh, since early February 2020. So the measures are very effective uh, and uh, with with high uh, penalties for the violators. So if you are, for example, if you are not uh, wearing the face mask, face mask, the 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 fines are you know much uh, higher and it's to reach you know around three thousand euro dirhams. So all those measures you know make the uh, measures to be effective and uh, highly organized by the government. The other uh, important thing 
all the PCR tests and the vaccinations, they are given in a more accessible way. For example, for students and faculty members and other staffs, it will be given in the university or uh, student hostels. So it will be easy for us just to go and get the vaccination and PCR test. Immediately, again, they will send us the notification email, uh, our SMS messages, and there is also Al Husni app, so you can access all your uh, test data, the results, everything. For example, if you get infected with positive PCR test, the ambulance with emergency team will come to your place and then they will take you to the quarantine or isolation area. So it is very effective. And the measures you know, started early. The other important thing, they also started the uh, national disinfection program. Uh, other measures such as uh, uh, closure of schools or universities, uh, social distancing, uh, even they, they, they ban the congregational uh, prayers uh, anytime and during the Friday. So all this in combination, you know, makes more effective uh, in addressing the pandemic in UAE. Also, uh, there are some, 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 some uh, aspects to be to be to be considered. Yasin, let me just follow up with one um, question about that, and I'm curious what the role of um, you know the Islamic leadership, uh, mosques, you know, people wanting to gather in those kinds of settings. What what was the role um, there of you know religious leaders in terms of getting out the kind of public health messages? Uh, actually, there is no speech or preacher on on that, but uh, the, the government gives them directions. So when you go to the, for example, to the masjid, they would provide us a piece of papers or a plastic material just to pray with by keeping two meter distance with social distancing. And other, we are not allowed to go without face mask. Otherwise, the um, the security persons will not allow us to enter. The most important thing, till recently, I think Professor Michael will help me on this, the, they will not allow even congressional prayers at all for a long period of time. So individuals were, you know, praying at their homes independently. So it's recently allowed. I think it's end of, uh, in, 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 end of 2021, I think. So after that, it's become, we can, we can go with our own, um, math. So we can, we can pray on, on that, but still we will keep the social distancing. And they, they provide also hand sanitizer. So when you go, just we disinfect our hands and then we'll use our own mat and we'll keep the social distancing. So it was very effective. And there is no any, uh, any, 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 any preach by the religion, religious leaders about how to prevent, but it is already disseminated and the, the directions were given by the government. So it's, it will be effectively implemented. Otherwise you will be even fined because they will call the security guys to those uh, responsible bodies who are authorized by the uh, higher body. So they will come and they will, it will take you to the uh, police. So it is very effective. Well, thank you both for that. I, I want to talk about your research, but I couldn't miss the opportunity to, to get a, these insights from the UAE. The first guests I've had to really find out how the pandemic has been managed there. Remind guests that I'm talking with Michael Gribna and Yasin Jamal Yasin today on COVID calls. And let's talk a bit about your research now. And Michael, let me start with you about this. Um, you came into my consciousness when I came across a paper uh, titled The Global Impact of COVID-19 Pandemic on Road Traffic Collisions, which I thought was a really quite brilliant insight into, um, you know, maybe an unexpected way in which this pandemic is affecting public health. So let's talk, and this is a long-standing area of your own research. Let's let's talk about how you came into this particular study. 
Uh, in fact, uh, it was uh, uh, in the line of the other studies what we did. We started uh, in, immediately in the COVID pandemic uh, the, to do some studies related to epidemiological issues and the prevalence and about the mental health uh, among the different, you know, pop study population, uh, healthcare workers, medical students, and so on. And then we realized that there is some impact on the, some other like related uh, uh, activities uh, in the life, and this related to, the, for example violence, injuries, and uh, one of the areas was the uh, traffic-related injuries. And we could expect that there would be some changes because, uh, of course, there was the lockdown and there was different situation, environmental situation in the traffic and traffic volume and people using the cars or other means of transportation. So this was somehow motivation uh, to do this study. And uh, specifically, we did uh, two major studies and Yasin was the main author. I think that he will speak more details about this studies. One was more on the global issue to assess, you know, all the literature available and the different, you know, factors in the different countries. And one was focusing more locally, and it is assessing really health hospitalizations in the trauma registry and how the traffic was affecting. So uh, before uh, a pandemic and during the pandemic, the changes and comparing it, the results were really quite interesting. But I believe maybe Yasin to, uh, you know, speak more about the details. He was main author, so I think he could explain more about the, about the study. So. Yasin, that's great. Let me bring you in on this. And I think as we start, maybe you can help us understand just the overall context of how big a public health problem road traffic collisions are worldwide before the pandemic. I'm as 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 you have introduced it. I'm PhD student, and my PhD uh, thesis topic is risk factors affecting the pattern and severity of road traffic collisions, the global and the UAE perspective. So uh, I use for the global data the you know WHO World Health Organization global status report on road safety, and I was uh, assessing the risk factors based on the data on that uh, specific reports. So far, uh, the WHO published uh, three papers as a um, global monitoring system in order to achieve the 50% reduction uh, assessed by the uh, United Nations. So uh, when I came up with that based on the interest, I had uh, to read a lot of uh, papers to understand the risk factors, but the WHO data missed some important uh, factors such as environmental factors, it is not well described. So in this case, what we did uh, with my professors, just we read actually, uh, uh, we, we published a paper on uh, pedestrian uh, desert. Um, it's a global study based on the WHO Global Status Report on Road Safety. So, uh, in that it showed us, you know, high level of, uh, pedestrian and motorcycle mortality. It showed, uh, in 2016, uh, road traffic collisions caused around 1.35 uh, million deaths globally. Of this, around 51% was, you know, uh, pedestrian and motorcycle mortality rates, which, uh, are equivalent to 23% of the uh, global uh, road traffic collisions or road traffic collision days are attributed to the pedestrian day and 28% of this global days are, you know, motorcycle days. So in this case, we learned that it is more severe and the burden of uh, road traffic collision on vulnerable population is you know, very high. So uh, in order to make all the factors to be addressed, we have to uh, look on the other aspects which are, you know, from the usual way on the, on the, on the uh, environmental factors. So we understand that COVID-19 is one of the environmental factors that can affect the uh, road traffic characteristics, road, road track characteristics such as traffic congestion, and it may also affect the traffic volume and traffic density which will affect you know speed so in this case uh, we read uh, on uh, may may 21 2020 uh, a news was, you know published by the bbc news uh, which says the impact of covid-19 i mean 
the effects of COVID-19 pandemic during the coronavirus pandemic on, in, in USA. So I received that uh, message from Professor Michael and I go through it. So in the beginning, we agreed to make it, you know, a commentary paper. Later on, we discussed it again to promote it with Professor uh, Fikri Abuzidan to make it, you know, a semi-review. And then later on, as I go through different sources, I collect a lot of uh, uh, published papers on scientific uh, journals. And also I read uh, media reporters such as BBC, CNN, and other media outlets. And there are also uh, some webinar discussions uh, around the US and the uh, Europe. So all this helped me you know, to organize it. And later on, we, uh, we make it to, to, to narrative review. So all this gives me uh, an impression and it will help me, you know, to include one of the environmental, as COVID-19 as one of the environmental factors affecting COVID-19 pandemic. So all this gives me an impression to go and read more on the literature and understand the environmental factor, how it affects the, the, the mobility and how mobility affects the congestion and then this congestion affects the other factors such as uh, traffic lanes or increasing speed. Even also, it also affects you know the low enforcement measures. So all this gives me uh, an opportunity to go and to write the paper. I think Professor will add on this. Uh, yeah, maybe uh, I, I could only add a couple of the, uh, of the information. I think we would expect that uh, because of the lockdowns uh, that there will be decrease in the road traffic crashes and uh, uh, somehow we would like to really to have some evidence about this. So it and it showed that there was decrease in the road traffic crashes, number of the road traffic crashes and also some like even the mortality influence and uh, hospitalizations and so on. But what was really interesting that what Yasin was explaining that there was because there were less cars in the, on the street, there was the speeding, like higher speed. And of course, of those who were like having the traffic crash, that it was more severe and even these traffic crashes were more deadly. Uh, one specific uh, result, which was very interesting, also uh, uh, what Yasin was mentioning, is some local influences. And here, because lockdowns, the people started to uh, order more food from the outlet online. And because there were like delivery on the motorcycles, so we see the much uh, higher uh, prevalence of the motorcycle-related uh, crashes and the injuries related to the motorcycle crashes. So there was quite interesting, you know, evidence of the you know how the COVID pandemic was influencing. For us, of course, uh, the traffic-related, you know, somehow injuries, it is really major issue in the UAE. And it is when I arrived in 2003, uh, the prevalence from uh, or mortality related to road traffic, traffic crashes was highest in the world. It was 32 per 100,000. And it wow. was really incredible. I was surprised, in fact. And mm. it was really many different uh, risk factors and issues involved. Government started to do provide some intersectoral intervention with uh, the changing of the environment, uh, uh, changing of the road safety, uh, uh, like streets, uh, lighting, speed measures, uh, uh, seat belts, uh, uh, somehow enforcement, and so on. And it was very successful. So it uh, decreased to almost five, four by four point five, around five per hundred thousand. So it was very successful in some way, the intervention. Still, it is higher than, for example, in the UK, uh, where it is around four, or Sweden, it is around two. So we have the much higher still mortality in those countries. But in the GCC countries, I think it was really very successful, and we have the lower mortality than in some, some neighboring countries. So the COVID pandemic was, of course, somehow influencing this, you know, the environment in the traffic and the uh, uh, number of injuries. There is another issue, and it is because uh, the healthcare system uh, was uh, somehow overwhelmed about the COVID cases and treatment of the COVID cases. And now the ambulance system should be really very specific how to deliver, for example, injured 
uh, patient from traffic injury to which hospital? Because there were dedicated hospitals to the COVID and some were treating, you know, trauma centers to some other issues. So this was also influencing some, uh, you know, issues related to the uh, traffic injuries. That's so many fascinating insights there. I mean, um, just to underline one important thing that, that you said from the majority of the countries that you looked at, that if I'm understanding correctly, um, the number of traffic deaths and injuries goes down because there's just fewer cars on the road. But with fewer cars on the road, those that are there traveling at higher velocity and therefore the people who are, are engaged in accidents tend to have more serious injuries. So that's the sort of, I've got that part. Yes. All right. There's a follow-up piece of this, which is highly relevant here in South Korea. I think it's relevant everywhere, but particularly here in South Korea, where in the um, earlier phase of the pandemic, people were relying on food delivery a great deal. Already a dangerous job. I mean, you would probably consider these essential workers. I'm not sure the category is yet generally extended to them, but you know, Seoul would shut down if it didn't have food delivery during the pandemic. Um, and it's a very dangerous job for these delivery drivers. Is that a, a pattern that you saw play out in the other countries that you looked at? You talked, Yasin, for example, about um, you know the importance of looking at motorcycle incidents and pedestrian accidents in this in this context. Uh, thank you, Professor. And this is very important and very interesting question. Uh, actually, we did the global study, which is a review, and we also did a local study, which is based on the trauma registered data in our hospitals, in Alain Hospital and uh, Tawam Hospitals. So, for example, in our local study, it showed us clearly an increase in motorcycle mortality, and this is attributed to the uh, delivery, food delivery. So it increased the accident, uh, and it, it is similar to other countries. However, the the the, the uh, overall overall road uh, traffic mortality varies by 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 country. It also varies by uh, road. Uh, user types. In some countries, motorcycle and uh, cycling mortality increases, and other countries it decreases. For example, in case of UAE, most of the workers are you know, expatriates, and they are uh, allowed to work as just to cover their their, their expenses. So they are driving, and they have, as you said, they have high risk of you know uh, crashes, and they the, the mortality increases, but when you compare with the locals, the UAE, most of them, they are government employees and they are allowed to work from home. So in this case, the mortality definitely decreases among UAE nationals compared to these expatriates. And those expatriates, most of them, they are motorcycle riders. So in this case, it increases. And this is mainly associated with the uh, delivery system, food delivery system. They will go even uh, th there are fascinating interviews uh, that was done uh, by 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 in, in Dubai by the experts. So some of the uh, motorcycle riders say we are busy and we are in hurry just to pick the food and to deliver to the customers. So in this case, if they delay, the customers will be upset and the uh, restaurant owners will be you know taking some 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 measures so in this case they are they are pressurized by both and they drive in high speed and they face you know crashes so in this case of course it, it happens similarly in australia and other countries the motorcycle mortality increases but in others it's, it's also decreased so it, it it varies by country by uh, road type user and by the uh, urban between urban and rural and so on. So all those factors should be you know taken into consideration in order to understand the overall skeleton of the COVID impact on road traffic collisions. So let me just remind uh, everyone that you're listening to COVID calls, and I'm talking today to Yasin Jamal Yasin and Michael Gribna about their fascinating new research on road traffic collisions and public health in the pandemic. So a few countries were outliers in. Um, these studies. And um, maybe, Michael, let me start with you on this. For example, um, you know, you found the, the patterns that we were just talking about. Um, the United States also went through a lockdown, but you found something a little different about the U.S., didn't you? Yes. Uh, yeah, as uh, Yasin was mentioning, it was very interesting to see the differences between the countries. I think the reports were really different uh, because in some countries there was, in fact, increase in the 
you know, mortality uh, related to the road traffic crashes and uh, uh, even the hospitalizations and so on. Uh, a couple of the countries, they have different issues. But we need to consider also the, you know, differences in the uh, population structure, you know, how many cars they are involved, mobility, use of the cars for the, you know, for the driving and so on. And the environmental factors, and it is like road designs, for example. Here uh, in the UAE, even in a line, uh, we have like uh, between the roundabouts uh, could be lines like six lanes of the lines. Okay, so three lines, which is really quite almost like highway type of the lines. And in this case, uh, the, all the cars and even motorcycles are reaching quite high level of the speed. So on some, there are limitations and we are inside the city, but it is like 100 or 80. Right. And uh, so a transfer of the kinetic energy, it is incredibly high, even in the minor crash for the motorcycle, uh, motorcyclists, for example. So the consequences could be quite serious in some countries where it is more crowded area, like, for example, in India, in some Asian countries where it is more crowded. So the uh, cars or motorcycles or rickshaws that cannot reach too high speed. So in this case, they could be collisions. But, you know, the consequences uh, could be less severe. Uh, that uh, uh, in the UAE. We have specifics even like in the structure of the uh, cars. You know, the, uh, uh, the most popular car among the people, it is SUV. And it is, of course, related to the popularity to go to the off-road and to the desert and so on, especially UAE national families, local families are using SUV. And what is really different between SUV and sedan, it is different uh, kinetic of the traffic crash. So sedan is more stable and the uh, center of the gravity is more much lower to the road, so they don't uh, uh, they don't tend to roll over SUV because the center of the gravity is higher. They tend to roll over, and of course, if you don't have the seat belted passengers, they tend to be ejected, and the consequences are incredibly serious. And we we were showing this in previous studies uh, with uh, Professor Fikri Abu Zidan. Uh, Yasin was already mentioning Professor Fikri, and I need to mm. mention him because uh, he was very keen. Uh, uh, and a uh, really very important figure here in the UAE, establishing trauma registry and uh, 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 building the data source and a lot of research related to the different injuries, uh, specifically of the traffic-related injuries. So he was very keen and very, uh, you know, the important figure to do the, for the epidemiological studies, risk and clinical studies related to the injuries. And we were showing in the previous studies that, uh, you know, the Portion of the rollovers or ejections, which much higher in the UAE compared to other countries. So this was very interesting, and of course we have the different population structure. So we have the, uh, um, a lot of UAE nationals who are, you know, driving very early in the uh, in the age, and uh, you know there is some a lot of risk related to the driving behavior and uh, you know driving uh, education or experience and so on. We don't have so much, uh, for example, challenges as other countries related to the alcohol and drug use. There is some. It is. It is still uh, right. So we have like uh, in the when we uh, uh, you know assess the traffic-related injuries, hospital based in a line around one percent there related to the alcohol. Uh, you know the higher blood uh, alcohol level. So in the other countries, of course, the alcohol drugs are much bigger. Uh, uh, risk factors and hearings. Of course, there is this, uh, you know, culture and uh, religious influence and so on. So in this case, we are in some way lucky that this factor is not playing so major role as in some other countries. Let me make sure that I acknowledge the full team for the study. You were just talking about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on road traffic collision injury patterns and severity in Al Ain City, United Arab Emirates. And that was um, Yasin, you're the co the lead author on that. David O. Alao, and then Michael, you're also co-author, and Fikri M. Abu Zidan also. So that's your full team on this. And um, another piece of this, I just wanted to come back to Yasin. Let me ask you about this. So the implications here, um, particularly during the worst part of the early pandemic, um, in terms of tantalizing details you were just talking about a few moments ago about um, the, the problem of allocating health resources. So where should ambulances go? And I'm thinking here of New York, um, I'm thinking here of Spain, of Italy, countries in those first few months particularly 
where we saw in the news this constant parade of um, ambulances moving day and night in, in, you know, dense urban areas where, you know, the collisions might not have always been the problem, um, but it was just the slowness of the traffic that was, you know, people were dying in ambulances. And I wonder what that, that means in terms of, you know, the, the traffic study you've been, you've been looking at. You know, my question, I guess, is um, how successful were, you know, um, EMS and 911 services, emergency medical services, um, in adapting to this problem that traffic accident victims need to go one place and maybe COVID victims need to go another. I hadn't thought about that problem until I read your your work. What did you learn about that particular problem, Yassine? Uh, thank you, Doctor. Uh, it's a very interesting question. Actually, during the uh, COVID-19, uh, there are resource mobilization, especially, you know, most of the resources of the hospitals, they are, uh, you know, intended for COVID-19 patients. And they are not targeting, you know, other 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 uh, patients. For example, as you have mentioned, the injured traffic injured patients. So, uh, in this case, even there are, you know, delays in some cases. For example, in our hospital, uh, when the uh, traffic injured patients are coming to the hospital, they will stay for PCR test, and then it will take time. Then, if they are ne negative, they, they will uh, receive the treatment immediately. But if they are positive, they, they will delay and they will transfer to other hospitals because it is it is it is, it is shifted. For example, in our uh, city, there are two uh, major trauma centers, Al Ain Hospital and Tawam Hospital. So during the COVID-19, the Tawam Hospital is only responsible for uh, uh, for tra trauma patients. Or Al Ain is already, uh, if I'm not if I'm mistaken, Professor will help me. Al Ain Hospital is already uh, designed for for Trump for uh, COVID-19 patients. So in this case, they will transport it and it, it will even reduce the the almost it, it previously it was two two hospitals, but now uh, during the COVID-19 it becomes one. So in this case, there are uh, there are reductions even on the number of services that will be provided to uh, injured patients. Uh, even from other countries uh, and trauma studies show that those resource allocations are, you know, more mobilized and more beds are, you know, allocated for those uh, uh, COVID patients who are at uh, high risk of, uh, you know, or high level of risk of death. So, I mean, the, the sickness or morbidity. So, in this case, there are uh, there are there are resource reductions or resource, uh, how can I say, resource, uh, you know, they get reduction in resources. So in this right. case, there are, there are, there might be deaths, you know. Right. Second, there, there might be delay in, uh, in the output of the PCR test. For example, in our case, they will delay for certain hours. So in this case, if the patient is, you know, got injured, and delayed for PCR result, to make him he, he may die. Mm. So in this case, uh, it, it affects us. It affects us. But the good thing in our case, there was only three COVID nineteen uh, positive, uh, three three positive cases, and they they they, they 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 survived, and there was no death. So we are lucky in this case. But in other countries, due to the delay of the PCR test result. Some patients might be, you know, died. But if it wasn't during the COVID-19, they will go directly for the treatment and the, all the necessary measures might be, you know, done for them quickly. So they can, their lives might be saved. So in this case, there might be different. The other important thing, I hope uh, there should be, you know, uh, monitoring by technology such as we can use, you know, uh, drones to monitor the, the speed, so that we can, we, we, because, you know, speed is one of the major factors for mm -hmm. the injury severity. So if you monitor by technology using drones, we can reduce the number of uh, severity or the high, 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 high severely injured patients. And then we can also transport by, by helicopters. For example, UAE, they use uh, helicopters as uh, ambulance, and there are also other ambulance 
services for transporting this one. But in case of COVID-19, it will be very challenging. So my suggestion uh, to address this is, you know, it will be better to monitor uh, the speed using drones and other high speed, uh, uh, um, using speed cameras so that we can address them. Uh, otherwise, it will be, you know, a very challenging one uh, because, you know, pandemics are, you know, unprecedented and you cannot predict them when will happen and occur. So in this case, it will be good if we use other technologies so that we can we can address them. Uh, the other important thing, the emergency medical service in the UAE is very organized. So those who are responsible for that, they will they, they can divide their uh, services in transporting COVID-19 patients and some of the ambulances for allocating for uh, injured patients. Otherwise, if you ignore the road traffic uh, aspect and if you are focusing, we may face, you know, a lot of uh, deaths from the uh, road. Hmm. Uh, so in this case, it should be organized and directions must be uh, given. Thank you. Just one thing that's on my mind, and I, um, I don't know if it comes out of any of the data you were able to look at. Michael, let me ask you about this because you were pointing to the really critical importance of different sort of um, infrastructure cultures around the world when it comes to understanding, you know, uh, mortality and, and auto accidents. But I'm, I'm remembering that in places like where my family is from in Texas, in the United States, um, people had to be in their cars to get their to get their PCR tests. And they did a, a whole election um, in the United States in which an astoundingly large number of people voted um, through drive by you know, mail drop. So we had a lot of services that were became auto based in the United States. And I wonder, I mean, do you have any sense if that also contributed maybe to a higher rate of um, accidents? I hadn't thought about this issue of people who are worried that they're sick and they have to take to their car to get the kind of medical intervention that they need. Uh, um, I, I think you are right. Uh, we don't have any evidence or uh, who was, uh, you know, studying this issue, uh, or at least I'm not aware of the study uh, from the US. Maybe there is some. Uh, in the UAE, uh, the, uh, uh, it was quite very well organized, even the information system and lockdown. So that means that the majority of the people stayed at home if the, uh, you know, the industry or, uh, uh, you know, the trade was not... Uh, uh, was not necessary for them to go to the workforce. So it was in the beginning of pandemic. And this was really quite fast. So that means like all the measures were, were quite very well organized. Uh, what was really very specific in the UAE, I think that we at uh, the UAE had the experience with the uh, uh, previous pandemics or, uh, you know, maybe uh, endemics or maybe, uh, you know, some like outbreaks, like there was the MERS. And so there were some like, you know, the already uh, uh, the plan preparation plan for some like uh, if some pandemic will occur or the uh, you know bigger uh, the outbreak will occur so this was like really in the beginning very useful because there was activation of the system which could uh, you know respond to with the different measures the majority it was like really quite clear that the lockdown was uh, decreasing the traffic and the people were not using so much there was a huge shift to use the online services like educational you know the old uh, school education started to be the online uh, you know it was very fast uh, somehow uh, development of the online teaching measures for the because some schools were not even uh, you know equipped with the technology and so on and universities but they had to adjust. It was very challenging, of course, as in the other countries that the parents what to do with the kids if they cannot go to the school, how it is, how to deal with the, you know, supervision of the kids and so on. So this was like really many challenges. But uh, also the online services, like uh, delivery of the food, delivery of the medicine, even like the healthcare sector reacted with the telemedicine facilities. Or for example, for the chronic patients, they could cancel on the telemedicine on the video using the uh, using the uh, online system or PCs, and also delivery of the medicine was, uh, you know, the, by the uh, online delivery in some way. So in this case, uh, they were limiting the people to go to primary healthcare centers because they they wanted to assure that even the chronic patients will, you know, receive sort of care and so on. 
So in this case here, we didn't see so uh, a big, uh, uh, you know, going outside for the uh, uh, needed to going for the shopping, for example. The government established very efficiently and very fast PCR centers. You know what you were mentioning that the people had to go to take the PCR test, but it was very well organized. There was the application that you can order even time-wise when you in the time frame where you can go and which uh, PCR center you will choose, uh, which is closer to your uh, you know to your uh, your accommodation. So in a line, it was a couple of the centers and people could really, you know, check and the timing, choose the timing that not to spend like four hours or two hours or whatever in the car, but they could really go there, take the test and leave in the time frame, for example, half an hour or one hour or whatever. So in this case, this service was very fastly uh, developed. The construction of these PCR centers was built around the country very efficiently. Even the new uh, hospitals, field hospitals, they built, uh, waiting for some wave of, of the hospitalized patient, which was in fact uh, uh, not completely uh, needed, but the, the service was already, you know, reacted to provision and, uh, you know, expecting that there will be need for the additional uh, healthcare services. We're almost up on time in our conversation today with Yasin Jamal Yasin and Michael Grivna about road traffic collisions and COVID nineteen. I did um, Yasin, you started us on a really interesting um, you know area talking about the the policy implications of this research that you've been doing. I'm thinking of some really interesting analogous work in environmental science, um, and it kind of goes like this: um, nobody would wish for a pandemic to find out that you could actually reduce the amount of carbon going into the atmosphere if you had collective action, which in this case was people were not out. People, you know, the um, traffic, you know, driving factories closing down. I mean, and, and I think of that as an interesting analog to the work you're doing. You would never want a pandemic to create the, the, the moment within which you can actually study what it looks like to get people off the road. But that's actually, that is what happened. And, and so um, that's what, one of the things I find your work so interesting. So you were talking about some of the policy interventions that you would recommend, Yassine, a moment ago. Uh, anything else, policymakers, um, automakers, um, you know, local police forces, people should be taking away from this research in terms of how to make driving safer when the pandemic is over? Uh, thank you, Prof. Uh, thank you, Doctor. So uh, this is also another uh, very important question. Uh, in the first place, we have to document the lessons learned and the experience during the COVID-19 uh, so that we can improve them in the future uh, pandemics. Uh, the other important thing, uh, as you said, no one wishes to, to occur any pandemic in the future. Uh, but there are just, can I say, there is a blessing in disgust. Uh, in, in road traffic for the impact of COVID-19 on road traffic and the, the environmental pollution, it contributes a lot. A positive, it has a positive impact. For example, it reduces carbon emission or other, uh, uh, greenhouse gases, uh, because it reduces the number of vehicles, uh, at the same time, it's also in reduces the number of traffic road traffic collisions. So in this case, we have to learn the good thing. And we have to also improve, for example, uh, some of the policy implications that I that can I uh, suppose, we can use online shopping. This will reduce you know, the number of public transportation and private cars or other trips. We can also use uh, virtual learning so that we can, we can, we, we can, we can reduce the number of transportation. Uh, for example, the number of uh, students going every day will reduce. Uh, even we can also uh, work online from home. So we, we, we see these uh, clear differences. Uh, the other important thing during the pandemic, we can uh, provide uh, telemedicine. So, uh, it, it, it may, it may, it may also reduce the number of congestion, even transportation systems. 
so the other important thing we have to document all the resources that we have from different organizations, from police, universities, research institutions, or other stakeholders, so that we have to have uh, a document so that we, 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 can, we, can, we can implement it, you know, properly uh, after the after, after, after the pandemic. The other important thing, uh, the, you know, most of our review uh, are, you know, based on the urban reports. It misses data from rural and other developing countries. Mm. So we have to include all these things uh, so that we'll have, you know, an overall picture on the impact of COVID-19, uh, on road traffic collisions in all uh, settings. Otherwise, it will be, you know, incomplete. So in order to have uh, a good look, we have to include future studies also that uh, f from rural and from other uh, uh, countries, especially developing countries. So we miss a lot of data from many of the developing countries and many of the rural areas. Even in rural areas in developed country, we miss that one. So if we include all those things, we will have, you know, a good uh, and complete data. So uh, in road traffic, actually, uh, even most of the uh, law enforcement measures, even the uh, requirements for uh, driving license, some of them, they were not effective. In one of the reports that I have read during my review, uh, in US, it becomes even less restricted. So those young uh, individuals, they will go, they will register for driving license and they will receive it, you know, easily without a challenge. So in this case, some of the report says it increases because of the unexpressed uh, driving experience by those young guys. At the same time, there is freelance or empty lens so that they, they will be encouraged, you know, to drive at high speed and then they, they ended with a tragic outcome. So in this case, it should be very strict and uh, we have to mm. install speed cameras. Uh, we have to deploy uh, drones and uh, helicopters in order to address all these things. So professor will add on this and thank you so much. Uh, only, I don't know if we have the time, uh, only a couple of sentences. I think it was really great what Yasin was mentioning. Uh, uh, I think it is very important to study all the local influences. It, it is very difficult to do the global, you know, somehow only picture because every country has a little bit different, you know, and we did see it, right? That there was like differences in the countries. Mm -hmm. Like in some, even the uh, countries are more equipped with the public transportation with, uh, versus personal transportation. We did see some influence in the Europe, for example, that the people were scared to go to use the public transportation to get the COVID. So they were using more cars, uh, personal cars to move uh, around and so on. So I think it is very important issue that uh, it should be locally studied and all this uh, somehow do. Uh, uh, I think that the, uh, what the Yasin was also mentioning, the COVID has some positive impact on the life. So it was not only negative, something like moving to the internet online, you know, the work uh, hybrid type the meetings or conferences, even educational uh, uh, online. We need to remember still that this social interaction is incredibly important for the mental health. So how to uh, do it more efficiently and still not forget that we need to meet sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And some other people that not only to move to the online interaction is also incredibly important. So there are many of the lessons what we should learn from the situation, pandemic, into traffic, but also other, you know, the uh, uh, life uh, related to pandemic. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation. I have to say, Michael, it must be um, uh, fun to work with Yasin too, because at various moments he said, if we only had more data about this, if we only had more data, he's a real, he's hungry for more data, which I appreciate. <laughs> and to understand the nuances of this, again, I, I really want to underscore the point that you were just making, Michael. We, we talk about this pandemic as a global phenomenon, but you have uncovered in these papers some quite important local contours. And so, yes, it's a global phenomenon, but it's demonstrating all kinds of really important social behaviors, technological, infrastructural realities, and public policy realities around the world. I just want to remind folks that uh, you've been listening to COVID calls, and you can usually catch COVID calls at 7 p.m. Eastern time. 
please join my COVID calls discussion at 6 p.m. Friday, East Coast time, when I'll be talking to poet Kathleen Ossip. So please join me for that. And I want to once again thank my guests, Yasin Jamal Yasin and Michael Grivna for your fantastic work. You've taken my very low level of knowledge and moved it up a notch in just an hour. I really appreciate that. And thanks for the work you're doing. Keep it up. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Stay healthy, everyone. We'll see you next time on COVID Calls.